I have heard you say that it is enough for us to just be, that we don't need to do anything to be in God. I have this gut feeling that I need to do to be worthy, to contribute, to give something. And you say that God is within me. I realize I'm looking inside for some concept I got from the outside. It is like looking down in a well in the night. I see reflections and, and think it is the bottom, but it is only the surface. When, even when I know I need only let go and wait rather than look for anything, I'm still waiting for my way, my own concept of what should happen. Please comment. The first thing, the most fundamental to be understood is that you are already in God. It is not a question of being in God. You are already there, just as the fish is in the ocean. You are in God. God simply means the existence that which exists. In the ancient Hebrew, the word God stands for that which is. G stands for that, O for which, and D for is. That which is. The word God is tremendously significant. It does not indicate a person. It simply indicates a presence. And the presence is everywhere. Life is synonymous with God. The universe is synonymous with God. To be is to be in God. There is no other way. To breathe is to breathe in God. There is no other way to sleep is to sleep in God, and to wake up is to wake up in God. There is no other way. You can choose to sleep, but still you are in God. You can choose to forget God, but still you are in God. You can choose to deny God, but still you are in God. Not to be in God is the only impossible thing. The only impossible thing, I say. So, it is not a question of becoming worthy, but I'm not saying don't become worthy. I'm not saying be lazy, lousy. I'm not saying become an escapist. I'm not saying become an escapist. I'm not saying don't contribute to existence, but your contribution to existence should not be a means to reach God. That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> your contribution to existence should be in gratefulness that you are already in God. It should not be a means to reach because you are already there. It should be an overflowing of joy because you are already there. <clears throat> be very clear about the distinction. Now, share your joy. Your love, your ecstasy. Make life as beautiful as possible. Just one of thankfulness that existence has chosen you to be, that you are allowed to be, that you are given life. What else can you do? If you can sign, if you if you can sing a song, sing it with your totality. If you can paint, paint and put your whole heart in it. If you can dance, dance to 
abandoned, so you disappear completely in the dance, and there is no more any dancer, but only the dance remains. But these are not means. Let me remind you to reach God. These are just our poor thanks, our heartfelt grandeur. Prayer is true when it comes out of gratitude. Prayer is false when it is just a means to persuade God, to seduce God. To ask for something, even if you are asking for godliness itself, then too your prayer is full of desire. And when prayer is full of desire, it is too heavy. It can't have wings. It can only grope in the darkness. Of the earth, it cannot soar high in the sunlit sky. When prayer is without desire, it has wings. It, it can reach the ultimate. And when prayer is without weight, when it is out of the thankfulness, not desiring anything but just to show your gratitude for all that has already been done for you. You say, "Is it enough for us to join? Is it enough for us to just be?" But my gut feeling is that you need to do something to be worthy, to contribute, to give. <clears throat> it is not a gut feeling. Okay. It is not a. Gut feeling. It is just what has been conditioned in you by the society. The society has been telling you continu continuously, persistently, day in and day out, from your very childhood, in the school, in the college, in the university, in the church, the priest, the politician, the parents, the professor. They are all joined together in one single conspiracy to give you the idea that as you are, you are unworthy. You have to do something. You have to prove yourself. Then only will you be <clears throat> only will you be worthy. This is the strategy of the society exploit you. This is the strategy of the society to exploit, to exploit you. This is the society's ugly way to make slaves of you, not creators but slaves. But in beautiful, sophisticated, but in beautiful, sophisticated ways. You've been conditioned. Beautiful words cover very ugly. Beautiful words cover very ugly realities. The ugly reality is that the society wants to use you as a slave. The society wants to manipulate you, exploit you. The society wants to control you. It manages it to, in two ways. On the outside is the state, the policeman, the magistrator. Magistrator. What's that? It manages it in two ways. On the outside is the state. The policeman, the magistrate, magistrate. They enforce laws, but laws can never be absolute. A man can always find ways to defy laws. Then the society creates another safeguard. It creates a conscience in you. 
it goes on hypnotizing you, saying again and again that you have to be worthy. And the helpless child has no other way than to oblige, than to surrender. Than to surrender. His whole life is at stake. He cannot survive on his own. He also has to depend on the parents. He has to watch continuously what they want, what they appreciate, what is rewarded by them. If it is rewarded by them, then he is worthy. He feels good. If he is punished by them, he feels unworthy. He feels bad about himself. Slowly, slowly, the idea settles. Thinks deep in your heart becomes almost your second nature that just to be is not enough. Trees are enough, animals are enough, birds are enough. Only man has this stupid idea that just to be is not enough. It is a very cunning tactic to destroy the freedom of the individual. To destroy the self respect of the individual, to create, in the, to create in the individual a deep guilt feeling. It has gone deep, certainly, so deep that you misunderstand it as a gut feeling. It is not a gut feeling at all. But I'm not against being creative, remember? I'm all for it. I want my people to be creative, but for a totally different reason, <clears throat> with a totally different intention, with a totally new motive. I want you all to be creative. I don't want you to escape to the monasteries. I want you to live in the world and live fully. And live the whole spectrum of life. Bring your total potential to expression. Bloom in as many ways as possible, because only then will you feel fulfilled. But this has not to be the same, but this has not to be as a means to attain something. Hmm, that's the key here. It's not a means to get something. It, it itself is the end. It's an expression of your joy. It's an expression of your gratefulness. This has to be just an expression of your joy, of your celebration. Then the quality changes. When you use something as a means, you are not really interested in it. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say. For example, if you are painting just to be appreciated, your focus is on appreciation, not on the painting. Your heart is not there. You are already imag imagining, dreaming about how you will be appreciated. And because your constant worry is how to be appreciated, you will paint something that will not come out of your spontaneity. Uh, you will paint something that will not come out of your spontaneously. You will paint something others are bound to like. You will paint. You will paint it according to them. You will become a very poor painter. You will not allow your genius to come out, because the genius is not easily appreciated. Remember it. Hmm. Genius is not really easily appreciated. Remember it. <clears throat> the more talented you are, the the more genuine your intelligence is. Mm -hmm. The more talented you are, the more genuine your intelligence is. The less 
is the possibility of being easily appreciated. The greater possibility is that you will be condemned. Why? Because a genius brings something new into the world. So, so new, so new that all the criteria didn't fit with it. And the old criteria are deep rooted in the human mind. They cannot easily go away. Yeah. Why? Because a genius brings something new into the world. So new that all the criteria doesn't don't fit with it. And the old criteria are deep rooted in the human mind. They cannot easily go away. The genius has to create not only his poetry, his paintings, his dance, his music, he also has to create new criteria by which to judge them. Vincent van Gogh was not appreciated in his time, out of the greatest painters. The world has ever known. He lived in utter poverty. His brother supported him, but his brother was not much in favor of his painting either, because it was not paying. So, what is the point of doing something that does not pay? On the contrary, because of Van Gogh's paintings, people used to think he was mad. He was painting in such a new way as it had never been done before. He had his own vision. He has a genius. In his paintings, trees are so high that they reach to the stars. Stars are very close and trees grow very far away. Now, who is going to appreciate this painting? Any child any school child can say, this is nonsense. Stars are not so close. And trees, who has seen such big trees reaching above the stars? But Van Gogh, but Vincent Van Gogh used to say, whenever I see a tree, this is my feeling, that the that the earth is trying to reach the stars, to go beyond the stars, through the trees. These are the hands of the earth reaching for the unknown, for the transcendental, for the transcendental. And I love my earth, hence my stars are small and my trees are big. I'm part of this earth. I'm also a hand of my earth. To me, stars are small. This is not a, this is not a question of astronomy, physics, mathematics. It is a totally different vision. Trees are seen as ambitions of the earth, love affairs of the earth with the sky. But who is going to appreciate that? Appreciate him. In one of his paintings, the sun is painted black. Now, who has ever seen a black sun? But he used to say that the sun that shines outside is black compared to the sun that is inside. It is a comparison. Kabir will agree. Kabir says, when I saw the inner sun, then I knew that the outer sun is just a black hole. When I saw my inner life, then I knew that the outer life is nothing but another name for death. The moment the inner is known, suddenly the outer stars fading away. Now, Van Gogh is talking in a mystic way. He is a mystic, but who will understand? It will take years for people to understand. Van Gogh lived and died unappreciated, unknown. He remained absolutely unknown in his lifetime.
You will be surprised to know that now, each of his paintings is so valuable that no other paintings can compete. Even Picasso's paintings are not so valuable. Millions and millions of dollars for a single painting. In his own days, in his whole life, Van Gogh could not sell a single painting. He had to distribute his painting to friends or to the man who used to give him a cup of tea in the morning free of charge. Those same paintings now cost millions and millions of dollars. People had discarded them. People accepted them out of politeness because, as far as they were concerned, it was all junk. So, why collect it? Vincent van Gogh committed suicide when he was only 33. It was impossible to live. He could not earn a single cent. His brother used to give him money, but just enough to exist to survive. He needed money to paint for the canvas and the colors and the brushes. So, this was his arrangement. He used to get money every Sunday for one week. So, every week for three days he would eat, and for days he would fast so that money could be saved. To purchase canvas colors and other things that he needed. To me, Van Gogh's fasting is far more significant than all the fasts that have been done by your so called saints. This fasting has something beautiful in it, something spiritual in it. When your so called saints go on a fast, it is a means. They are fasting so that they can reach heaven and enjoy all the heavenly joys. But Van Gogh's fasting has a totally different quality to it. It is his love to create. And why did he commit suicide? That too has a tremendous significance. It is no ordinary suicide. In fact, A man like Van Gogh cannot do anything in an ordinary way. He committed suicide because he said, Whatsoever I wanted to paint, I have painted. Now, just to exist is pointless. I've given that which I came to give. Now I can go back to the original source. There is no need. To live in the body anymore. I have contributed. Years and years passed, then slowly he was appreciated. Now he is thought to be one of the greatest painters in the world. This has been so with all the geniuses. In their own time, they are condemned, condemned by the masses, condemned by the crowds. Condemned by the priests, condemned by the politicians. They are appreciated by only very few people, sensitive, receptive, intelligent, only by very few people who have the capacity to see something that is new, unknown, that has never happened before. Only by very few people who can put their minds aside and look. I would, I'd like to be,、uh, I would like to be creative, but don't be bothered about appreciation. Don't be bothered that you'll be gaining fame, a name through it. Whenever the motive, whenever the motive is so gain, at,、uh, whenever the motive is to gain something out of creativity, You are no longer interested in it. You become a technician.、Uh-huh. You are no longer an artist.、Uh-huh. I like it. The difference between technician and the artist.
to put it here. Yeah. Whenever the mo whenever the motive is to gain something out of creativity, you are no longer interested in it. You become a technician. The difference between artist and technician uh, motive. You may do the painting and you may do it perfectly, technically perfectly, but it will not have the soul. It will not be alive because you'll not be there. You'll be looking around for the appreciations to come. And you will always paint accordingly so that they can appreciate. There are people who say only that which people want to hear. There are people who say only that which people want to hear. These people will be very famous, known, appreciated, respected, but they are mediocre people. The genius speaks that which arises in his heart. He does not care a bit whether anybody is going to like it or not. He says it straight. The genius speaks that which arises in his heart. He does not care a bit of whether anybody is going to like it or not. He says it straight. He says it direct. He never thinks of the results and the consequences. Be creative in that sense, and your creativity will become an offering to God. God has given you so many gifts. Something has to be done just in deep thankfulness. But remember, with no motive, not as a means, but as an end unto itself. This is exactly what I've been thinking recently. It's amazing. With no motive, as not as a means, but as an end unto itself. Art for art's sake, and creation for creation's sake, and love for love's sake, and prayer for prayer's sake. And that's how one slowly becomes religious. The religious person lives in the moment. He has no worry about the future, not even about the next moment. When it comes, it will come. He does not prepare for it. He lives this moment, and out of this moment, the next will be born. He lives this moment, and out of this moment, the next moment will be born. And if this moment has been beautiful, if this moment has been a benediction, the next is going to be, of course, a deeper benediction, a greater blessing. You say, I have this feeling that I, used, I need to do to be worthy. The need to do can be a gut feeling. Because we have too much energy, and the energy wants to dance, the energy wants to paint, the energy wants to sing, the energy wants to do something. But this can't be a gut feeling. A need to do 
to be worthy. So doing something is a means to be worthy. That is a feeling that has been put inside you, like scientists put electrodes in the brain and then a person can be manipulated. Just like that, the society has been going on down the ages. It creates a conscience in you. Do this. This is right. Approved. Respected. Don't do that. That is unworthy for you. You will be condemned if you do it. And a kind of division is created within you between right and wrong, between the should and should not. The problem is that no should can never be a fixed phenomenon. The problem is that no should can ever be a fixed phenomenon. It changes with life. No right is always right. And no wrong is always wrong. So to decide beforehand is dangerous. Ah. No right is always right, and no wrong is always wrong. So to to decide beforehand is dangerous. Okay. I don't teach you conscious. I don't teach you consciousness. I know. I don't teach you. I don't teach you conscience. Conscience means right and wrong are like things decided. This is a rose, and that is a lotus, and this is a stone, and that is a diamond. Decided. Decided forever. Right and wrong are not things. They change. Life is a river-like phenomenon. What is right today may not be right tomorrow. Wow. Interesting. Life is a river-like phenomenon. What is right today may not be right tomorrow. I agree with that. Yeah, sometimes something is right for your childhood, but it's wrong for your uh, adolescence or your adult life. And something right for your adult life is not necessarily right to your senior life. Ah, that's what exactly happening to me these days. One Zen master asked his disciple, What is God? The disciple bowed down, remained silent. The master blessed him and said, This is good. I'm happy. One Zen master asked his disciple, so the master asked his disciple, what is God? The disciple bowed down, remained silent. The master blessed him and said, that is, this is good, I'm happy. Next day, again, the master asked the disciple, what is God? Of course. Now the disciple had learned, so he bowed down an ever deeper bow remained quiet, even closed his eyes, and the master hit him hard on the head and said, You stupid! The disciple was puzzled. He said, But what was, but what has happened? Yesterday you were so happy, and the answer is the same. You better ever than, uh, even better than yesterday? The master said, that is where you are uh, that is where you went wrong. Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. Now you are simply repeating a ready made formula. Now you are not being true. 
not being spontaneous, not being responsible. Now you have learned a trick. How can you? How can the same answer be right today? Twenty twenty four hours have passed. So much water has gone down the Ganges. <laughs> Existence is dynamic. It is not static. It is not a stagnant pool. It is not a stagnant pool. It is a constant continuum flow. No answer can ever. No answer can ever be fixed, and that's where the society deceives you. It gives you fixed answers. With fixed answers, one thing is good. That is why we cling to them. They give you a sort of certainty, security, safety. You can remain certain that you're right, but life goes on changing, and your right remains fixed, and then your whole life becomes a misery because your answers never fit the questions. Then your whole life. Is an effort to put square plugs into round holes. Okay, I like this expression. The your whole your whole life is an effort to put square plugs into round holes. Your whole life, you go on trying, and it is very frustrating. The reason is that you never see. That life is changing. The really conscious person changes with life. The really conscious person cannot afford to be consistent. Consistency is consistency is part of a mediocre mind. I'm not saying be deliberately inconsistent. I'm simply stating a fact. That to be consistent means to be stupid. <laughs> to be consistent means to remain with the past, <coughs> blind to the present. If you look at the present, you have to change with life. Hence, you will find a thousand and one contradictions in. Jesus's statements, and so in the case with Buddha, and that has always been the case with the enlightened people, because they don't have any ready-made answer. You hanker for the ready-made hanker answer, so you can jump on it. You hanker for the ready-made answer, so that so you can jump upon it. You can hold it tight in your hand, and you can be certain. You suffer from uncertainty, and uncertainty is the nature of life. Certainty is part of death. I like that. <laughs> be certain, and you'll be dead. <laughs> Remain flowing. Remain uncertain, remain available to the changing circumstances, and you will remain more and more alive. To be totally alive means to live in the moment with no past interfering at all. Then you respond to the moment, and the response comes from your consciousness, not from your conscience. Ah. I see. I like this、uh, paragraph. Conscience is a deception. Conscience. Is a social trick. The society has created the conscience. 
And the function of the master is to destroy your conscience so that your consciousness can be freed. Your gut feeling is not a gut feeling. You have been deceived. There is no need to do anything to be worthy. You are already worthy. I like that. You are already worthy. If you were not worthy, you would not be here at all. God has given you birth, has created you, must have seen some worth in you. If you are unworthy, then God is not a very original creator. Then he is not much of a creator either. How can be How can he create an unworthy person? Society makes you unworthy because that is the only way to exploit you. To make you feel unworthy. Then you will, be, then you will try hard to become worthy because that is the only way to gain self-respect. And to become worthy, you will follow the dictates of the society. Society creates fear in you fear of being unworthy, fear of being condemned, fear of being left alone, fear of being nobody, fear of being anonymous. And then you are ready to yield, to bow down to any kind of conscience. To bow down to any kind of nonsense. Simon's parents were in despair when he flunked out of school. They tried sending him to every school in the city, private, public, progressive, military academy, but he took no interest. Finally, they tried a Catholic school. When Simon came home with his first report card, his parents were surprised to see a straight A report. Straight A report. What happened? They asked him. Well, he replied, When I saw that poor guy nailed to the cross everywhere I looked, I knew they meant business. I don't get it. Okay. Okay, I got, I got it now. <clears throat> so, the parents asked the kids, son, Simon, what happened? They asked him. <clears throat> well, he replied, When I saw that poor guy nailed to the cross everywhere I looked, I knew they meant business. So, he was afraid of being like the Jesus Christ. To be nailed to the cross everywhere. <laughs> Great fear creates as much fear as you can. That has been the policy of the society. Hells have been created just to catch hold of you, heavens have been created just to reward those who will follow the dictates. All are imaginary. <laughs> there is no hell, there is no heaven, but these rewards and punishments are subtle strategies. I like that. Subtle strategies. They have, wor they have worked up to now and they have destroyed all human dignity. This is not a gut feeling in you. Your gut feeling and the conscience creates by the society have got mixed up. Your gut feeling and the conscience created by the society have got mixed up. The, get feel, the gut feeling is to do something. Yes, that is a gut feeling. When energy is there, one wants to do something that is natural. 
energy wants to be expressed, but with the motive to be worthy, that is a conscience part, which is getting mixed with your gut feeling. Be clear about it. You have been messed around by the society in every possible way. You have been confused so much that you have to depend on somebody. Either you go to the priest. In the old days, you used to go to the priest. In India, they still go to the priest. In the West, the new priest has arisen the psychotherapist, the psychoanalyst, the psychologist. Go to him. And the miracle is that the priest is just like you, maybe even more in a mess than you are, but still you go to him to find good advice. Yes, he repeats good advice like a parrot. Your psychotherapist, your psychiatrist, your psychoanalyst, maybe in deeper anxiety. In more tensions than you are. Just the other night, one of my sannyasins was asking me, Osho, you had told me last time when I came here, look for the lighter side of life, count the roses, ignore the thorns, ignore the thorns. They are there, take note of them. But don't pay too much attention to them. But my psychoanalyst had said, This is dangerous. This is going to repress your emotions. So I'm puzzled what to do. <laughs> I told him, You just wait a few days. Your psychoanalyst will be here. <laughs> But I was not aware that this sannyasi himself is a psychoanalyst. Just later, my caretaker told me that this man himself is a psychoanalyst. Now, one psychoanalyst going to another psychoanalyst for what? And that one may be going to somebody else. The founder of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, was one of the most pathological persons you can imagine. Very superstitious. You will laugh if you, if, you go on into, if you go into his biography about how such a man could become the founder of, founder of psychoanalysis, how such a man could be trusted that people believed what he was saying was true. One of his friends. Gave him the idea that just as each woman has a 28 day s period when her menstruation, menstru menstruation comes, exactly like that, each man has a 23 day period. There is some truth in it, not 23 days, exactly 28 days. Now, much more research has been done on it. Those four or five days when a woman goes through the period, period are sad, depressive, dull, negative. Exactly like that, the man also goes into a negative state each month for four or five days. Of course, his period is not very visible, but it is. But it is there, it is a psychological fact. It should be there because men and women are not very different. So the friend's idea was on the right track. Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud suddenly got one idea. Lying down in his bed, he was thinking about 28 and 23 suddenly. An idea flashed in his mind. 28 plus 23 means 51, and he could not sleep the whole night. He became certain by the morning that he was going to live 51 years, 
a very great gut feeling. And he started talking about it. 28 plus 23 equals 51 years, and he will die. The, fifth, the, f- the 51st year came and passed, and he did not die. Then something else had to be found. The day he was expecting to die, his phone number was changed, and the end of the phone number was 62. So he said, look, another indication. So now I'm going to die at 62. That day also came and passed. But the people like Sigmund Freud are not easy. They will find something or another, something or other. He was staying in a hotel and the number of the room was 82. So he said, look, another indication from above. At 82, I'm going to die. That is absolutely certain. And that day also passed. He died when he was 83. Such superstitious people. He was so afraid of death. That's why he was so concerned about it. He was so afraid of death that five times in his life, he fainted publicly because somebody started talking about death. He used to faint flat on the ground. Just the idea of death and such a pathological, neurotic person became the founder of psychoanalysis. He used to project himself. Whatever was true for him, he thought was true for every human being. That is the very limit of nonsense. All that he has said about man is not about man. It is about Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud is a single individual. He does not represent all human beings. Nobody nobody represents all human beings. Nobody ever can. So maybe a few people are helped by psychoanalysis. Very few people, rarely have I seen a person who has been helped by psychoanalysis. But those are the people who are of the same type as Sigmund Freud. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> much research has happened and it has been found that Even those people who are helped are not helped by psychoanalysis, but by something else. In one experiment, 25 persons were given psychoanalysis for six months, and 25 persons were just kept waiting and were told, soon your psychoanalysis will start. They were all suffering from the same kind of illness, And the result was very surprising. The 25 who were given psychoanalysis were helped a little bit. But the 25 who were kept waiting were helped far more. Just waiting helped them for, just waiting helped them far more. In fact, this secret has been known in the East. It has been practiced for centuries. If you take a mental case, if you take a mental case into a Zen monastery, they put him in isolation for three weeks. Nobody talks to him. Just the opposite of, just the opposite of psychoanalysis. Nobody talks to him. Nobody listens to him. They just keep him isolated. Somebody goes absolutely silently and put the food there, comes back. He has to live with himself for three weeks. And miracles have been happening down the ages. Just putting him three or four weeks in isolation, slowly he cools down. So no psychoanalysis, no psychoanalysis, no therapy, just isolation. In fact, 
He was suffering too much from people, from the stress of being in a crowd continually. Psychoanalysis may not be the real cause of help, but the length of time, two years, three years, four years, the psychoanalysis continues. It continues as long as you can afford it. It depends on you. If you have enough money, it can continue your whole life. In fact, psychoanalysis never comes to a termination. It cannot because the mind is very inventive. Yeah. It goes on inventing more and more rubbish. It starts enjoying slowly because the more rubbish it brings up, the happier the psychotherapist feels. Seeing him happy, the mind obliges with more. Whatever the expectations of the psychotherapist are, the patient fulfills them. Hmm. Patients are really patient people. Patients are really patient people. Very obliging. Courteous. 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 Good people they are. That's why they are suffering. They are not hard people, not hardware, but software. Because they are soft, they are suffering. They, the hard guys, are not suffering. The hard guys make others suffer. <laughs> the soft guys become victims. The three, four years lying down on a couch, talking nonsense, waiting, waiting, waiting. It helps one to unwind. Unwind. One becomes a little more relaxed, and somebody is listening to you very attentively, or at least pretending that he is listening very attentively. My own observation is that the attention of the psychotherapist is of immense value. This is a world where nobody gives you any attention. If the husband wants to talk to the wife, he says, there is so much work to be done in the kitchen, and the dishes have to be washed, and I have no time. If the wife wants to talk to the husband, he's tired from the whole day at the office and the work and the traffic, and he wants to watch the TV. A service says that the average husband-wife communication in America is only 33 minutes per day. And that is the average. And in that 33 minutes, you can count fighting, nagging, pillow throwing, and every kind of thing. Only 30 minutes between husband and wife out of 24 hours. A great need has arisen that somebody should listen to you. A great need has arisen that somebody should listen to you. Hence the psychotherapist hence the psychotherapist helps. He's a professional listener. That is the only quality he has, the only qualification really. You can start the business. No other qualification is needed. If you know only one thing, how to be attentively sitting there by the side and listening, just listening attentively will help. The person starts feeling, I have some worth, somebody. And the more he has paid, the more it helps because the person who is listening is no ordinary psychotherapist, none run of the mill, somebody special, very famous, world known, and listening so attentively to me. The very idea gives worth, then I must be saying something immensely beautifully. Then I must be saying something immensely beautiful. Giverish you may be bringing up, that's what in psycho bubble is called, free 
association. Anything that comes to your mind, bring it up. Okay. Gibberish you may be bringing up. That's what in psycho bubble is called. Free association. Anything that comes to your mind, bring it up. If such gibberish is being listened to so attentively, a great, a great need is fulfilled. The person feels worthy, feels important, feels as if he is somebody. Yeah. Uh, 